This podcast is brought to you by the Caesar Encyclopedia, which is my own weekly email newsletter. It's the place where I share all the cool things that I've learned throughout my week with my friends around the world. I share the books, podcasts, and interesting people I find that help me enjoy life more. And as I travel the world, I also share my favorite adventure spots, the restaurants that blow my mind, and how my view of the world has changed that week. The newsletter is completely free. It comes out only once a week, and it's only available for those who sign up by email. You can sign up using the link in this episode's show notes or by using the link in my Instagram bio. Let's get learning. Welcome to the Dose of Caesar, the podcast where I speak to world travelers to uncover how their adventures around the globe have impacted their lives. My guests today are Debbie and Michael Campbell, who are world travelers and two of the most interesting people I have ever read about. Uh, After retiring in 2013, they sold their home, their sailboat, and most of their possessions to go on one more adventure around the world. Over eight years, 85 countries, and 270 Airbnbs later, they are still traveling the world. Together, they run the popular Senior Nomads blog. In 2016, they published the book, Your Keys Are Home a book talking about their experiences living exclusively on Airbnb for the last eight years. Uh, Debbie and Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for giving me your time. Great to be here. Thank you, Caesar. <laughs> I wanted to start off the show by first, uh, I wanted to read a quote to give more context on who you are from your book that I really loved. And it was from a host that you stayed with in Spain in December, 2014. And he said, um, Michael and Debbie are not tourists. They are two great travelers, like those of the past centuries moved by their thirst of knowledge. They don't simply pass by. They stop to observe the new landscapes, to understand the people of the places where they are. They are not in a hurry. They know the pleasures. The pleasure is in the heart of the, of the stones of the cities and its people. They do not seek the comfort of big hotels that keep them away from real life. They want to be one of the people who live in the cities where they stop. They seek knowledge to magnify their young hearts. That quote, um, I think, tells a lot about um, you guys. Because one of the things that stood out to me as I was listening to your um, podcast that you've done is this philosophy of how you say that you are lifelong learners and and how you want to you you go to you live your regular lives but just in other people's homes you're not on a long eight-year vacation i wanted to ask how did you guys pick up that mentality of being lifelong learners because that's a choice and a lot of people even my age you know they people who are already graduating college are like well learning is over how did you pick up the, the mentality of, I want to be lifelong learners? Uh, well, let's see. If you looked at any of the report cards from my um, school, you'd know that I, I didn't do a lot of learning early. <laughs> I wasn't as focused. <laughs> I as did I hear that you said you weren't a good yeah. student. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, it's just, um, God, it's, it's such a big world out there and there's mm-hmm. so much to learn. and. Um, you know, I really didn't, I didn't do very well in school when I started. So this is an opportunity to catch up. Education is wasted on the young, they say. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> what about you, Debbie? Were you a good student or have you always considered yourself a learner? Did you ever not stop learning? Was there a period where you stopped learning and you realized I got to start learning again? 
<laughs> no, in my career, I was a graphic designer and had an agency mm. of my own. And we were always learning and, you know, learning how to be more creative, come up with solutions. So my mind was always working that way. Um, but I think when we started traveling, we took on a different kind of learning. And this whole process requires re-education how to travel, where to travel, how to get to where you're going, what's there when you get there, what's to see, who's to meet. I mean, we're constantly looking for new information. And on top of everything else, I mean, we're very curious. And mm. I think curiosity is really a core value for this kind of travel. Good yeah, agree. Um, I, I, you know, you guys are very different. You talk about how you're very different. Uh, Michael, you're the, you're the numbers guy. Uh, Debbie, you come up with the experiences and what, like the, the daily planning. Um, and I would, yeah. what's it? Yeah. I come on Captain Spread spreadsheet, Captain Spreadsheet. But yes, he's a straight line guy and I'm a curly girl, but we still get to the same place. Because you seem to have the same values, even though you, you, you specialize in different things, you have the same values of curiosity learning um if you are open to sharing and you can tell me no but i'm curious to hear how do you two meet that that's one of the things that i didn't know i'm a i'm a romantic myself and i love love stories and i'd love to hear how you met if you're open to sharing oh it's a cliche i married the boss <laughs> <laughs> really wow you, you met at work yeah we met at wow. work yeah i took one look at this handsome fellow and said yeah that's the one um, <laughs> we've been together for we've been married for 42 years we've been together for 46 anyway wow so, yeah. that's a, that's amazing um you feel you, the same way right oh i do i do i do yeah, <laughs> you can chime in anytime <laughs> that's awesome you um another thing that struck me about you guys is that you guys had didn't for my research, it didn't look like you guys put off living. It didn't look like, oh, now we're going to live. And now that we retired, Michael, you raced Formula Three cars in Europe when you were in your 20s. What? <laughs> that sounds awesome. What, can you tell me a little bit about that? Um, let's see. I went, went off to, to college at the University of Santa Clara in the Bay Area. And, um, and I was going to be a lawyer or something. And uh, there's a kid across the hall from, from me in the dorm. Because everybody had to live in the dorms back in ancient times, and um, and he was really interested in car racing, and it's a good thing he wasn't a drug dealer because you know I was just like a sponge waiting to get into something, and so he he drew me into car racing, and I just fell for it, you know, uh, completely. And um, wow, you know, uh, we started. Uh, he taught me what he knew, and and then we came. I just became more and more interested, and we started racing cars and. Eventually, had a chance to do it professionally, so that was um, an incredible experience. Did you drop out of college to go race cars, or did you? <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, I graduated. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Just barely. <laughs> did you study in Europe, or where did no, you? No, study? No, University of Santa Clara, and then at the University of Washington. And gotcha. I, I did get a degree, just barely, uh, but yeah. then I then I racing, and then racing was kind of the. Thing that led me to my career, which was to um, to organize sports events. Um, so mm. I raised, I ran out of money or skill or both, and somebody said, "Well, I'd be a good person to manage a racetrack," and uh, so they hired me to ma manage a racetrack in Portland, Oregon, and and that kind of started my career in sports marketing. And and of course, if I hadn't done that, I wouldn't have met Debbie because we met at Seattle International Raceway, and so it um, so it's kind of like a dull wow. dream. What were, uh, Debbie, where did you graduate school from if you went to school? 
Uh, I went um, to community college for a bit, and then I went to a school called um, the Visual Concepts School in Seattle, but I'd already known I was going to go into advertising or graphic design. So I started that at a young age and kind of worked at two ad agencies in Seattle. And then we moved to England in 1986 and took our four kids there for five years. I came back and started my own agency called Tip Top Creative, which I ran for 28 years or so before we left to become senior nomads. You see, this is what this is what I'm talking about. You you lived in five for five years in London, and you you started your own companies. Yeah. Um, you know, you when whenever there was a time that you you had an idea, like say you wanted to start a company or you wanted to move to London, what was the self talk? What was what were the questions you would ask yourself? Because a lot of people would say, "Oh no, well that I can't do that. I have five kids, and um, four, they have to go four, to school." Four. <laughs> I now have my grandchildren, but um, what is oh, like the self-talk or the questions you ask yourself when you want to do something uncommon? Yeah, that's a great question, Caesar. Um, I I think we were blessed uh, by a mentor who came into my life um, maybe when I was um, you know twenty eight or something like that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, who who really helped me understand that attitude is everything. Um, you know, mm-hmm. if you can you're right and if you think you can't you're right and um it's like are you kidding me what uh, why didn't somebody tell me that earlier <laughs> uh, so uh, i think they just set us on a path that uh, we felt like we were captains of our own ship notwithstanding there's a you know a lot of things in life we don't control but if you focus on the things you do control mm. uh, i think um so we both are you know business owners and entrepreneurs and uh when someone, when an idea comes to us or somebody gives us an idea, I think we are like, oh, okay, well, you know, maybe. And uh, so run the pros and cons on it. And, um, you know. And a few spreadsheets. And some spreadsheets. And <laughs> before before we set out on this venture in 2013, um, Debbie had said. Um, I going to talk about that. I think, yeah. I think Debbie would say, you know, I, Michael, I think we have one more adventure in this. And that's, that's that was over a, a period of years, you know, and it's mm-hmm. kind of like, well, what's it well, going to be? Yeah, yeah, what's it going to be? You know, you keep talking about this, you know, next adventure because because we had been so blessed and had so many wonderful adventures in our lives up till that point. You know, well, you know. Do we need more <laughs> or do we need another one? But, yeah. But well, yeah. Or, or, you know, when's the biblical revelation going to come? you know, mm. on what that adventure is. And, and, and it turns out it did through our daughter. Oh, you t- so when your daughter told you that, yeah, you, you should come to France, live a little bit in, in Paris, right? Um, that's that's where she lived? She invited she, you to come live. That's what, that you took that as a sign of like, okay, let's try this out. Yeah, we have uh, four grown children kind of spread mm-hmm. around. And she moved to Paris several years ago and uh, married a Frenchman and they have young children there. She was home visiting for Christmas in 2012. And we had um, some notes about the house about retirement. We had a conversation with Mary over dinner. We had on the refrigerator a list of 12 countries we wanted to visit that we hadn't been to yet. Mm-hmm. Um, 37. Oh, 37. the list of 37. Oh mm-hmm. gosh, well, yeah. So, wow. Anyway. So she said, well, based on what you're saying and looking at this list, maybe you should retire and travel, asked us if we knew anything about Airbnb. And at that point, we did not. 
So she opened my laptop and said, well, look at this. And she had a friend of hers that was a digital nomad kind of way before it really took off. So think about that as he was already doing it in 2011 and 12. And he'd lived all over South America. And she said, you could just travel the world living in other people's houses. It's like, yeah, maybe we could. <laughs> so six months later, we were on the road. Six, because six months, and then you did like a six month trial run, right? Where you, it was kind of like a, let's see if we really want to do this. And after six months, you said, yes, we're going to keep going. But we, but at that point, we'd already gotten rid of everything but the house. Mm. So we were gone for six months. We didn't have much to come back to unless we kicked our renters out. So you were keeping the house just uh, in case you wanted to just come yeah. back. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. But we sold oh. it two years later. So. Yeah, you uh, you went all in. That um, at that point we were all in. Yeah, we loved it. We just, yep, yep. What would you What would you tell young graduates or people who perhaps just graduated college college and maybe they didn't have the chance to study abroad? Before I ask that question, did you ever think of studying abroad when you were in college? Not me. No. no. Gotcha. No. Well, I, I, I laughingly say. I took French at the University of Washington because you had to graduate. And um, I never, ever, ever imagined going outside the United States or or having to use French. It was just something you had to do to graduate. Mm -hmm. um, and I hold myself in contempt for the fact that I <laughs> could have tried a little harder back then. <laughs> what would you tell uh, young kids who are college students who are just graduated who say, I want to go travel the world, but I can't yet? or maybe in a few years, what, um, do you wish you would have started earlier? I mean, you did travel earlier, but do you wish you would have gone around the world, started this adventure earlier? Yeah, well, because of, for, for me, um, two years after I graduated, I was racing my car in Europe, um, and then in Australia, and then in New Zealand. So, um, uh, what happened is, as I told you, the roommate across the hall in college, and he just got me so, um, interested in Formula One racing and, you know, mm -hmm. laying in bed at night reading Road and Track and Car and Driver magazine and stories about the Monaco Grand Prix. And Not all online? These, what? All these, <laughs> all these exotic <laughs> locations. You know, I just couldn't wait to go do it, to go see the world. So it just, it didn't happen while I was in college mm. that I started travel, but I did start traveling two years after. And that kind of, that set the the course for the rest of our lives, you know, for the rest of our life. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. The, your senior nomads, um, blog, um, cause you could have kept traveling, um, uh, without the blog, but why did you decide to start the blog? Well, first of all, being in advertising, I said, we need a name. So I branded us the senior nomads, which was really a good idea. Um, <laughs> it was a great idea. Could become our moniker. Um, we started the blog, I write the blogs because we wanted a journal of our travels and we didn't start out considering it as, a well, it still isn't a commercial venture. It's just our opportunity of recapping our travels and our philosophies and feelings about our adventure. Yeah, yeah I would say here's another way. Um, when it was 2013 and people would say we were, before we left, they would say, oh, you should have a blog, you know, and you kind of want to say What's a blog? Uh, you know, let's back up a few years. Um, but anyway, okay, Debbie, you should write a blog. That's what I can hear myself saying that. Passing that right to me. Right. <laughs> right. Well, I, I don't know. Well, you know, the kids, 
our kids will want to know where we are. Well, you know, as it turns out, the kids don't care where we are. But, <laughs> anyway, and I feel so, I don't even ask them if they've read the blog anymore because I know they all hem and haw and go, uh, "No, I was going to read it tomorrow, Mom." <laughs> so anyway, now a lot of other people read it and enjoy yeah. it. So this is um, this one is interesting because like this thing of uh, sometimes the people closest around you aren't the ones that are going to read or enjoy your work <laughs> you know it's, it's a thing that I've heard yeah for example the podcast so it's usually people that I don't even know that are enjoying the the podcast mm-hmm. um, when did you discover that it was like oh this this is helping people that we don't know when did you begin to understand the reach of your, your blog and what you were doing? You know, it was probably in about 20, when did the New York Times article come out? 2015. 15. So right around 2015, we realized that we were doing something unique. And as uh, our ages, I'm 65, Michael's 75, mm-hmm. so we're 10 years apart, but we decided um, to reach out to Airbnb because they should ah, know yes. our ages using the platform to live full time. So Michael sent out some blind emails to a few people and finally, you know, we heard back, happened to be across the desk of a marketer there, a marketing person who was from Seattle, went to the University of Washington and said, well, these people are interesting. So we had a chat with them and before you know it, they had pitched our story to the New York Times. And the New York Times did a two page full color spread. I mean, two full pages on our lifestyle. And there's a link to it on the media page on the website, seniornomads.com. So it's one of the first media exposures we had. And kind of from there, I mean, if you're going to start big, there you go. And so I think then people really started to follow us and were interested in the story and it's just built. From that that one, the New York Times, I was reading how big that was, right? You went from like a couple hundred followers to like 16,000 or readers or something like that, or 14,000. And it was like the most yes, shared. The Instagram. Oh, oh no, the readers of the New York yeah. Times. Yeah. 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 yeah, the most shared story. Yeah. It was the most shared story for for about two days. That yeah. that That is um crazy. Shows, and then. Shows that there's a real interest out there. In yeah. Lifestyle. But a lot of people who want to live that lifestyle. And then you've um, kind of partnered with Airbnb where you kind of, uh, you help promote, or how would you describe your relationship with Airbnb? For a long, long time, it was just um, mutual admiration. And Mm -hmm. they would invite us to speak at some of their events. We collaborated on the book, um, Your Keys Are Home, which we wrote kind of for hosts and guests. And they gave that out at one of their big events, their LA Open in 2017, 16. 16. Um, so, and then we did a three month internship at headquarters, which was really fun. So we've had that relationship and, and really not a lot of compensation other than when we were doing things for them specifically. But right now, you know, we're partnering, partnering with them on the live anywhere on Airbnb, Gotcha. which entries are closed now, but we'll, um, we'll onboard the 12 people that they select to live full time on Airbnb for a year. Wow. we are involved at that level. And, and we, so love Airbnb that, um, you know, you talked about that open what the Airbnb open in 2017 and your book. Um, when I was reading your book, you talked about a man named Billy Meyer. And I wanted to ask, um, who is Billy Meyer and how did he convince you that you could inspire others to follow their dream? That's a great question. Thanks for all the homework you did. Yeah, oh, gosh. We could adopt you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Your one child that follows our travels. I just, I'm like I said, I really, I'm really fascinated by your life. And I wanted to give, I wanted to uncover some of the things that I, I thought haven't been covered. So 
Yeah. So Billy Myers, the person that taught me that attitude is everything. And if you think you can, you're right. And oh, wow. That was he, the mentor. That yeah. was the mentor. Yeah. I mean, speaking of, you know, if you look back as I can at this point in my life, you know, I've had, you know, three or four really outstanding mentors that came into my life at different times that really made a huge difference. And Billy Meyer was the one I told you about that I met when he was like, when I was 28 or something. Oh, wow. That, <laughs> that's amazing. Um, and that led you to write the book and, and wow, I'm just piecing things together. Uh, cause I was, I was, I was like, I thought it was going to be a person that you met in 2017. Wow. Uh, no, no, no. He's, uh, yeah. I talked to him just a couple months ago. He's still, um, he's a little older than I am, but he's a great mentor, great, great teacher, inspirational person who always signs his emails that he's rooting for you. That's awesome. Yeah, that that that's um when somebody tells you that when you feel like somebody's rooting for you, when people have told me like keep going with the podcast, it really it's really helped me out. Um you know hey, speak a very, very good interviewer. So. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um speaking of uh emails, um one of the things that fascinated me about your book was how much at how attentive you are of your emails and how your progression in learning how to email hosts um, that your first you talked about how your first email was kind of um, you know generic and just like very very short but you began to discover the power of putting um, some genuine uh, some more information in your emails and being more personal right um, what what did you learn about um from i guess communicating with hosts online what did you learn about human connection through reaching out to people from that could potentially be your friends in the next week or something if that question makes any sense it, it does to me um there's um, um dale carnegie wrote a couple yes. of books how to win <laughs> friends and influence people mm -hmm. yeah that's one of my favorites yeah and so that I, I took a couple courses um, around that, um, around his teachings and so forth. And that's another mentor named Norm Hamilton. And um, and so I think that's really been, become a big part of my life is walking a mile in the other person's shoes mm. and thinking about life from the other side. So in writing to hosts, rather than just booking a place, going online to Airbnb and just picking one, which is what we did at the beginning. Mm -hmm. We kind of learned that, hmm, why don't we think of this in a different way? Why don't we think about selling ourselves to potential hosts and getting them interested in us and our story in the hopes that they'll really want us to come stay at their home? And of course, maybe offer us something that's less than their retail rack rate. <laughs> so, gotcha. Wow. So that, yeah. So we just to finish, we kind of we feel like we turned it on its head instead of looking at five places and saying, oh, that's the one we want. Let's just book it. Mm. We pick now. Now we pick five or six places in a city. If we're going to come to Austin and we'll look and find five or six and we're going to write to all six with a message that, hey, hey we're Debbie and Michael and we'd love to come stay with your place. It looks wonderful. Um, and uh, just want to make sure the dates are available and um, what's the best price you can offer. So <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. You said like um, 
oftentimes the price and the experience are negotiable. I believe you said something like that in your book. Um, or well, is that is that a misquote? Our philosophy is more like um, a good host can make up for a mediocre stay is mm. one of the things that we say to ourselves. And Michael's right. We, we've kind of now interview hosts, if you will, as opposed to in the beginning, we were kind of begging hosts, please take us. I hope you don't think we're too old or too new or we don't have enough experience. And now we can sit back a little bit after eight years <laughs> and with, with our reputations. So but when you said it, we think of our host as our friend in the next city. And that's kind of important to the, us in the way we travel. Someone's mm -hmm. expecting us. So that's always important. Um, and we look at the reviews to see if the hosts interact with the guests, because we would rather stay in a place where we were going to have an interaction with the host than otherwise. And I know a lot of young travelers would rather just give me a keypad. I don't want to know about this. I don't want to meet the host. So yeah. um, your listeners might not be of that mindset. But for us, it's all part of the adventure, meeting new people and having someone that lives in a city that can give us their inside tips and maybe even, you know, have a meal with us. So. Debbie, I'm glad you mentioned that because that, that level of human connection is one of the things that, uh, another thing that I loved about you guys, because when I, you know, I told you, I studied abroad a number of times when I was in Thailand, it's when I realized, um, I was watching the most beautiful sunset I had ever seen. And, um, I was on my own and living a quote unquote millionaire's life. I was in the middle of a school week and I was like at a beach. I was like, Oh, I made it. <laughs> but one of the things that dawned on me as I was watching the sun sunset is Oh my God, I have no one to share with, share this with right now. I can go back home, tell my friends about it. Like, Hey, I watched the most beautiful sunset. They're going to be like, Oh, that's cool. But wouldn't it be amazing if we were there together and, and we, we they said, Oh, I remember. And so what I began to see as a pattern in my travels is that really the, the best memories and the biggest memories were all because of people. And so I did began to develop a philosophy. I think really it's all about the people and your travels kind of have been all about the people as well, because you choose Airbnbs where you're more likely to make friends. Um, mm -hmm. And now you have friends all over the world. What, um, what have you learned from having friends all over the world? What have you learned about people and making friends and um, memories? You can go anywhere you like with this. <laughs> oh gosh. I think we've learned that um, strangers are kind. So mm. believe in the kindness of strangers. If you're kind to them and polite, they'll be kind and polite back to you. And I always say you'd be surprised how many people speak English if you're just oh. quiet and wait for the opportunity and make them comfortable in sharing. That's one thing. But um, we've just learned that people are basically the same. We all have the same needs and wants. And it's just a shame that we can't all just get along, as they say mm. in the song. <laughs> I don't know, there was something in the Muppets show or something where, you know, peoples are peoples. I don't know if that makes sense to anybody except me, but, you know, people are people around the world and they, in, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the, they're, you know, we're all striving for the, you know, shelter and food and safety and security and then moving up the pyramid and so forth. And so rather than, um, you know, people who want to divide us as being so different from each other. I think what it, our travels have helped us to understand is we're a lot more alike. We may go about it in different ways and may eat different foods and they have different cultural and traditions and so forth. But, um, you know, we're all, we share, we're all place, yeah, yeah. We're, we're all, we're all on this. We only live one time as far as I know. And, <laughs> <laughs> so um, I think it's really helped us to be more compassionate, more understanding of differences. 
Gotcha. Gotcha. And, and, you know, what about talking about language? Um, what it, I think in your book, you mentioned something about sometimes we don't speak the same language, but we always, speak, we know that the, the universal language of generosity or, um, what well, I, I think, the, yes. Could you tell me yeah. more about that? The universal language of what is it? Politeness. I say we, politeness. Speak, yeah. <laughs> we, we try not to, um, uh, be those Americans that just bombard people and go, where's the bathroom or where's the bus and just don't mm. just calm it down a little bit. Don't shout, be observant, kind of be where you are and understand that there's a different way of going about things. Oh yeah. And, uh, yeah. I mean, we're the, we're the foreigner in yeah, someone else's exactly. land, you know, <laughs> they, they didn't, um, you know, we chose to go there. Uh, wherever there is. And so trying to be respectful and travel with kind of a light foot. And um, and unfortunately, we don't speak other languages. It would be nice if we did, but we don't. And so um, I think our main piece of wisdom to share with other people is don't let that get in the way of you visiting other parts of the world. Exactly. You know? That's the least of your worries with Google Translate and everything else. And we're all blessed to speak English. I mean, we we drop down the right chimneys mm, because yeah. you know, that's a language that you can almost find someone in any corner of the world that speaks some English. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And um, and like with um, and when you stay somewhere, you guys don't stay there. I thought you stayed there for like a month, or, but you guys, your average stay is seven to 10 days is what I heard. <laughs> We had a lot of world to see. We were busy. Post-COVID, it might not be quite that frantic. We don't know. But. Yeah, I mean, COVID really slowed us down. But um, I think when people find out, oh, my gosh, you only stay on average seven to ten, and sometimes you take 14 days. So that means you must stay sometimes like five days or four or mm -hmm. three. Oh, yeah, we yeah. do. Because um, there's a lot of world to see. And Debbie mentioned my age at 75, you know. Um, I, I, uh, we, we gotta, gotta keep going. Go. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta go. We gotta go. <laughs> but you still manage to find a way to make deep connections and really, I, I think, enjoy a place. What are the activities or the things that you do to one make deep connections with people in such a short time, and two to really experience a, a city? You know, not just as a tourist, but like deeply experience it. Well, a couple of things. Michael will talk to anybody at length. And oftentimes we'll be walking down a street in a foreign city and I think he's right here and I turn around and he's talking to a couple of guys behind me. And I was like, okay, I guess we're going to do that for a while. So he's really good about that. Um, and secondly, we are not on vacation. So we don't approach a city in the way that other people do. Like, well, we got to go to this restaurant and we have to go on this, this excursion. We have to take this tour. We got to ride the double-decker bus. We don't do that. We might do one or two things if they're affordable and interesting. Otherwise, we do our best to live our lives locally and um, and integrate with our neighbors and the cafe owners and people that we meet. So here's, I'd come at it this way. Well, we lived in England for five years, okay? So yes. we, we bought a house, our kids went to the local school. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I feel we can communicate with people who live in, in London um, in a deep, deep way. Mm -hmm. We went to Moldova. The capital is Chisinau. We probably mm -hmm. stayed for three nights. So we don't have the same relationship with Moldova as we do with the UK. Yes. But, um, but then again, we did go to Moldova and I wanted to go there because I wanted to see Transnistria. And 
So, you know, it's who doesn't, right? Yeah. So, so it's not all in depth for heaven's sakes, but but at the same time, at least we've kind of seen a piece of the geography and the history puzzle parts fit together that um, that are meaningful to us. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, it would be nice to stay in Rwanda for a month and get to know people a lot longer. We were probably there for a week. But, you know, it's better than not going at all. That's how I look at it. Gotcha. 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 And um, a big thing about cultures is food. And Debbie, you cook everywhere. Um, you cook in every home. Um, tell me about what it's like, what, what are some tips for, cause I love cooking. What are you, what are your tips? And I was thinking, you know, I was thinking if I'm going to travel the world, I think I might take my pan, but after reading your book, it was like, is that a good idea? I was thinking, no, I don't oh, think that's a good idea. <laughs> if I could have my 10 inch nonstick Calphalon pan with me the whole time, I'd be happy. That's um, what I was thinking. I was like, all I need is my, this, this, uh, it's like a 17 inch pan. Oh, that's <laughs> That's too big. Too big. Just ten, just for you. Gotcha. Um, you can make anything in that thing, and it goes mm. in the oven. Um, I cooked in two hundred and seventy kitchens. Wow. I know. Let's take a minute to absorb that. That's all. So, <laughs> you know, and so that means I've seen every kind of kitchen there is. There's some that look like they're for you know camping, and then there's others that Martha Stewart wouldn't turn down. So I've been all over the board. So what I've come to realize I need. Mm -hmm. I take a small cutting board and I take my three best Henkel knives. They're small. That's a little kit that you can get it on Amazon. And it's like a paring knife, a serrated knife and a peeling knife. And I, I take a peeler. Those are the things that I sometimes can't find in a kitchen. Gotcha. So when we get to an Airbnb, we go in the front door, Michael heads off to uh, IT land and he goes and checks the internet and how everything's going to be connected. I head to the kitchen mm -hmm. to see what I'm working with because it's really fun. And you open it. <laughs> Definitely. But, you know, no sense going to the store first and buying pasta if there's no pot to cook it in. So you have to get your inventory. Then I've probably done some research on the cuisine of that culture before I go. So I can kind of know what's fresh, what's seasonal. Don't buy. We rarely buy American products or imported products if we can help it. Go to the market, get the stuff, start cooking. And do you often cook for your hosts? No. No. We've had those cook for us. Maybe we've, uh, No. Because we're in it, we, sorry, because we we usually stay in an entire house. We don't live with our hosts. Gotcha. So unless a rare occasion on occasion, yeah. but mostly our hosts will come and meet us at the house, show us the house, and then they go away. We might meet them for a meal, but okay. I just, I just want to get in a word for washing dishes in two hundred and seventy kitchen. Fun. Where's the love here? That's right. In some sinks, you wash dishes in two hundred and seventy sinks. And yes. some are the size of your bathroom sink, and some are a big farmer's tub. So you <laughs> don't forget beds and showers too. Beds and showers. Two hundred and seventy each of those as well. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Speaking of beds, lifestyle really. You have to be flexible. You have to be have a sense of adventure. You're not staying in a hotel. You're staying in someone else's home. Mm. And to your point about, um, I'm going to digress for a minute to your people that you really want to talk to about travel. We never share our budget because people can do this on a shoestring or they can stay in hotels all the time and eat out every meal. You know, we don't do that, but we also don't skimp on accommodations. But if you stay in less expensive places, that helps, you know, cut down your travel time and things. I think that People can do this if they just keep their expectations in keeping with their budget. Yes. Well, and uh, and if people decide what they actually want to experience, because one of the things that you guys talk about is how you value experiences over material things. 
So yeah. what is what is this philosophy of you can't eat it, drink it? Um, I forgot the other two. Um, <laughs> or uh, attend it. <laughs> don't buy you, it. You don't buy it. I love that. I love that. Has that been a philosophy that you've um, gone by through through your entire life or I know it's been more extreme. No, no, not our entire no, life. No. no, we didn't need a sailboat, and we didn't need, but um, we no. can't, we can't travel and accumulate things. I mean, mm. just at a razor's edge for our weight anyway. So it's really my shopping gene or muscle has atrophied. So we window shop and we look at stuff and we say, Oh, that's nice. And walk away. It's great. feels really good. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, I did uh, want to ask on, we, we mentioned briefly, we mentioned uh, beds, but I'm going to use that as a segue, a weak segue to pillows. <laughs> ah. <laughs> I, I wanted to ask, why do you bring your pillows? And specifically, is there something special about those pillows? Is, is it a specific brand or no? <laughs> no, there's something special about them now. They're very squished. <laughs> they don't look like they did when we left, but um, it's kind of like a well-loved teddy bear. We, I think it was a spur of the moment almost. We just decided to take them and I'm glad we did because pillows are, pillows mean different things to different people. And, you know, so we have ours and wherever we lay them down is our new home. And so that's that little bit of home that we carry with us. And at least we know we're going to have a good pillow. <laughs> um, and and we don't carry them under our arms to the airport. Oh, too nerdy. In our suitcase. Yeah, so. Oh, okay. That's what I was imagining, actually. I was like, yeah. so they've got these pillows walking around. Oh. The <laughs> yeah, that is a sign of an insecure traveler. Someone that you see going through the airport with a rubber thing around their neck or whatever, and their bed pillows. Like, <laughs> It's a secret that we have our pillows in there. Gotcha. 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 And um, the journal, I want to talk about the journal that you guys keep. Do you still keep the journal where you write? Yeah. I'm working on it right now. Uh, How many, if you were to say, how many journals do you have at this point? 20. 20. 20. Over over eight years. That's that's not that much. There's a couple hundred pages. A couple hundred pages in there. There's a hundred pages in each. I don't know. Yeah. So you only need three a year. So yeah, three or four a year. Gotcha. And do you, um, are the, was the journal for your memories or to perhaps tell your grandkids about your adventures one day, or is it just for record keeping? I think it's more for record keeping. We tape every receipt in and we keep track of our daily spending, which is critical to the success of this kind of lifestyle. Mm. You have to know what you're spending or one day you're going to wake up and say, Oh gosh, I'm out of money. Yeah. Um, and to kind of make sure that we jot down everything we do and the important things of the day. But yeah, it's I think it, it, it serves as a source material for the blog. When Debbie yeah, decides you to write a blog and, okay, in the last two weeks we were in Italy and remind, yeah, you know, you remind her or us, you know, where we went and where we, what we did, you know. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. but it's not in flowery writing. It's not a. It's not a deep thinking journal. Oh, okay. It's very uh, like an accounting book almost. <laughs> like no, 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 it's factual. Yeah. There's, there's some emotion in there, <laughs> but it, it's not written for others to read. It's it's for ourselves. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. But it was it was helpful in writing the book. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. true. Mm. Right. Um, and you guys uh, spend together. Uh, you spend so much time together, but you still manage to. Um, you guys still have a strong relationship, and I was a stronger relationship. <laughs> no, I'm not saying I was just very impressed because I didn't think of that until you mentioned it in other interviews that, oh yeah, you spent most of your time together, but you have like this, sometimes I heard that you, sometimes you ask for two keys so that you guys can do your own thing. Yeah. How important I, is that? I think it's important. I mean, 
we still end up spending a lot of time together, but at least we have the option. <laughs> I'd like to have a day, you know, where I go do something that it, Michael sometimes likes to go tour parliaments or go to the center of the city and learn about the governments and the politics. And I'd rather go to the art museum and the market. So mm. we'll do that. But um, we, uh, Michael often says that we roll the boat in the same direction now. So we're both on the same path. We both love this lifestyle as much as each other. And as soon as somebody doesn't love it anymore, we'll have that discussion and perhaps stop. But for right now, everything we're doing, we're doing together, which after 42 years of marriage, you think, well, is there anything new to learn about your partner? But yes, there is and vice versa. And um, I think we really found what works for both of us with our skill sets, right? That's 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 awesome. <laughs> I always get to ask, what advice do you have for young couples who are wanting to go through this lifestyle? Uh, make sure that you're both on the same page. You know, um, it wouldn't, <clears throat> it totally wouldn't, <clears throat> wouldn't work unless both of you were committed. And so checking in with each other all the time, you know, are you okay? Is this what we want to be doing? Should we keep doing this? Because um, you're only doing it for yourself. You're only doing it. For don't you. don't do it to impress your friends. Cares, mm. right? But um, yeah, I think just making sure you're tracking together. And Debbie used the analogy. I'll kind of try and just uh, embellish it a little bit. If you think of the Olympics and you think of rowing, um, and there's eight men um, uh, shells, and there's four men, and there's one man and two men. So I think of us as in in a two person shell, and we're both. You know, oh, gotcha, gotcha. Go to the same direction. Debbie's got her oars. I've got my oars, um, and and that's different from the phase in life when you are married and you have children. And you both have jobs, and you leave in the morning, and you go off to your work, and then you come back, and then you cook a meal, and you put the kids to bed, or whatever it is, and then you get up and do it over and over and over again. Yeah, you know, the, because you have your separate lives. This our 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 lives are the life that we're having together mm. right now. We're living our daily lives. Yeah. We, get, we do everything we do at home. We're just doing it somewhere else. So we don't have that added pressure of perfect vacation, perfect Airbnb, get everything done in two weeks and then go back to work. We are just yeah, yeah. rolling forward and it takes a lot of pressure off. So we, you know, it just makes our relationship easier. I think, um, you know, these are like my rapid fire questions. You can answer them rapidly or not, but you okay. are voracious readers. Um, what books or books do you think all college graduates should read American dirt, American dirt. Wow. Gotcha. Um, Michelle Obama's book. That was good. Belonging. Mm-hmm. What it's Becoming. Called? Becoming. Mm-hmm. Becoming. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, yeah. Yes. We, every year at the end of the year, one of the blogs is our bookshelf. So what we've read in 2020 and now we'll do 2021 when we're done here. Um, so that's a place to look. Also on the blog, we have a recent blog called uh, Lessons Learned, and it's the seven things we've learned from our travels. Mm. So that's that, that's reading for college students right there. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Beautiful. Yeah. So go, go to the blog and um, those two books. I'll put them in the show notes. Um, here is a, a little a bit of a deeper question. Oh, man. Sorry. That was our timer. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, let's see what I'm trying to choose which one I want to go with here. I have like two. Uh, let's go with this one. Yes. You could ask us at the end how long we're going to keep doing this because Michael has a great answer for that. Okay. I'll ask you that uh, in two questions. Let's say you could uh, be 20 years 
old all over again. Um, I guess I kind of already asked you this, but would you start traveling at 20 years old if you had the knowledge and the experiences that you already had? Let's say, let's pretend like your kids are fine. Everything's fine. Like you already had those experiences. Would you start at 20, this adventure? No, not this adventure. I don't think. I think you have to have some life experience and partnership experience. Michael took me to Europe for my first time when I was 22. And we went for probably three or four weeks and it was overwhelming. I mean, if you're that young and you're going to different countries and trying to soak all that up and you have no context, it was a great introduction. But uh, and yeah, that's my point of view anyway. But you you did go in your 20s. It's kind of a hard hypothetical question, you know. Yeah. Because we've had... Um, such wonderful lives and, um, and, yeah. and so I think there's a season for everything and like we started talking about my lack of education or attention to education when I was young but um, it's such a blessing to be this at this point in my life and still learning and and the, the learning just means so much more today because you can put it in context as Debbie said gotcha gotcha and the Second to last question, then we'll go to Debbie's question. This is a, like my last question. Let's say you could give a message to every study abroad student. Let's say they're, they're about to get on the plane and you could give them a message right before they get on the plane. What would you tell them? There's their first time going abroad. Pay attention to the little things. Um, have time to yourself for reflection. Leave room for spontaneity and serendipity. Um, keep a journal and uh, take everything you possibly can out of the experience. Hmm. I would say relax um, and absorb mm -hmm. and be flexible and be an active listener. Um, mm. So, um, you know, we don't learn with our mouths open. So um, really focus on trying to look at things through the eyes of the people that you're staying with and from that culture. One more thing about that. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Our, our middle daughter, Mary was, a. Uh, she went to France for her junior year of high school mm -hmm. and she fell in love with her host mother's best friend's son. Wow. Who's now, who's now our son-in-law. So <laughs> talk about bring home a souvenir. So <laughs> <laughs> Wow. I, uh, I love that. Like I said, I I'm a romantic and I love that story. <laughs> it's a Cinderella story. And now they have three beautiful children and she speaks in fluent French. She's a food stylist by, uh, she's a food stylist, which is an amazing career. And wow. we're going to be in their kitchen by this Friday afternoon. So. Wow. Okay. Um, so Debbie, your question was how, how long are you going to keep doing this? Was that your question? Yeah. So ask, ask Michael, how long we're going to keep Michael, doing this. how long are you going to keep doing this? <laughs> um, well, we always say, um, as long as we're having fun, as we're learning every day, um, we're healthy, we're sort of close to budget, and we're still in love. And if all those things are in place, we'll keep doing this uh, senior nomads lifestyle. Wow. I love it. I love it. Debbie, Mike. <laughs> but I'm confirming okay. that we're still in love. Yes, I love I love it. It's uh it's beautiful and you guys are inspiring. And I hope I can find a, a partnership as incredible as yours so that I can travel the world. Oh. Um, 
You will for sure. Thank you. Thank you. Um, if people want to find out more about you, they can go to seniornomads.com. That's where your blog is. A lot of um, your media, all your information. They can pick up your book. Uh, it's called Your Keys Are Home. And um, on Instagram, you're at the senior nomads. Uh, anywhere else you want to direct people? We have started a Senior Nomads Facebook group page. Gotcha. Um, it's a private group, but it's for it's for travelers, people that want to travel as nomads. Probably older people, but you know, there's wisdom to be gleaned, I suppose. True. So anybody can join. And a Facebook page, but most most of all those links are on um, on the website. Okay, and uh, like a- anybody any age can join the Facebook page. Sure. Awesome. Sure. Awesome. Well, thank you, Debbie. Thank you, Michael. And to everyone listening, we will talk to you next time. Hey there. If you enjoyed this episode, well, green light. New episodes of The Dose of Caesar come out every week, so make sure to follow and subscribe on whatever platform you get your podcasts. If you feel that more people should listen to this podcast and share this episode with your tribe. If you want to connect with me, or if you just want some extra doses of Cesar, of Caesar, of Cesarine Bingui, then you can sign up for my free weekly email newsletter called The Caesar Encyclopedia, where I share what I learn every week. Or... You can reach out to me on Instagram at the dose of Caesar. We'll see you next time.